0: Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Torah Studies. So, the focus this week <coughs> will be on the upcoming holiday of Shavuot, or Shavuos, um, which begins uh, right after Shabbos concludes, um, Saturday night, and concludes um, on Monday at Nightfall. So it's a two-day holiday, it's Sunday and Monday, but of course, Jewish days don't begin... In the day, it begins at night. Just it's going to be different, and uh, and so it starts Saturday night and it ends Monday night. So every holiday, as we know, you know your holiday comes up. The first question is, what's on the menu? What are we eating? That's what that's the automatic association, right? Passover, you have your matzahs, your wine. Did you go to Kroger? Did you buy out the manischewitz? Whatever, whatever you're buying, right? Uh, Hanukkah comes around, so where are, you, are you making latkes, or are you buying the Trader Joe's latkes? Like how, Like we, we negotiate different, right? So, um, oh, and the jelly donuts, where are you getting the jelly donuts from? Are you buying the, the box ones, are you ordering from New York? That's where we get them from. Anyway, how are you getting your donuts? Um, let's get another holiday. Purim comes around. Hamantaschen, what's your favorite flavor? Do you like the poppy seed? Do you like the raspberry? Do you like the apricot? Like what's your, how do you roll with it? Rosh Hashanah comes around, and throughout the, uh, the halls of the preschools, we have echoing the famous tune of dip the apple in the honey, eat ahead of the fish, right? All these songs we eat, it's all associated with food, all these food associations. Yom Kippur, it's not about what you eat, it's about the fact that you don't eat. It's still obsessed with food. It's like, oh, we can't eat today. That's what we're thinking about. It's still food-centric. Shavuos comes around, and what do you have? You walk upstairs in this Chabad house. You smell the, the aroma of lasagna that cooked earlier today. You go to where Mushkin Shener are living. You have the aroma of cheesecake. You have quiches, and you have uh, uh, pizza turnovers cooking by us there's strawberry cake oh, this is on the menu by the way for Shavuos so everyone's invited to come Sunday morning and to hear the Ten Commandments and then Sunday lunch 12 o'clock right here we're having a, uh, we're breaking out the uh, the eats, but anyway the point is that comes Shavuos and suddenly we break out the menu what are we making, which feta cheese angle uh, salad are we, with the balsamic vinegar, it's like a whole thing, okay as you, can, as you might have noticed, we go very heavy on the dairy. There's a custom, a tradition, to eat, to consume, lar- <laughs> to have a focused consumption on the dairy products on the holiday of Shavuos. The question is, why? We know that when... Good evening. We know that when a holiday comes around, when Shabbat comes around, we always sit down to a formal meal, even more formal than the typical daily meal, a very formal meal, with the Kiddush... Glass of wine, and then we launch into a multi-course meal. So that's true with every holiday, but the uniqueness of Shavuos is, is that we're dealing with a dairy menu. The question is why. We're going to provide in the next few minutes nine different reasons why we are consuming, why we why why we are eating dairy food. All right, you ready? Nine reasons. Take it away, Text One A.
1: When Jews returned to their tents after the giving up the Torah, they were bound for the first time by the Torah's di- dietary laws. Therefore they could not eat meat, for they first had to prepare a proper ritual sla- slaughtering knife, remove the forbidden fats from the slaughtered meat, salted and procure kosher cooking utensils. All this made it necessary at that time for them to eat dairy rather than meat dairy products from kosher animals are by default kosher, making the preparation far simpler and since dairy can be eaten cold, their existing utensils were still usable. As a commemoration of this, we eat dairy unsheatly.
0: Okay, so this comes from the Chafetz Chaim. How's it going? This comes from the Chafetz Chaim <coughs> where he writes... Very simply, that when the Jews got to Torah at Sinai, first of all, what day of the week was it? Shabbos. It was Shabbos. It was the sixth day of, of, of Sivan, but it was also Shabbos. So here they're getting the laws of kosher, and you have to, an animal, if you want an animal to be kosher, you've got to slaughter it a certain way, you have to have a certain kind of knife, you can't eat certain parts of the animal, you have to cut off, you have to trim off certain parts of the animal, of the meat, of the fats, because it's not kosher for consumption. It's a whole big to-do. So first of all, you can't. So all the meat that you had stored up in your ice box in the desert, whatever that looks like, right? Whatever dry ice action, huh? Salt, salt? Eh, maybe, could be, probably. Um, Desert salt, like Dead Sea salt, maybe. Okay. Well, they weren't in Israel. All right. Anyway, so all of the meat that they had stored up was not kosher because they didn't have the laws beforehand. And to prepare kosher meat requires crafting a new knife, getting kosher utensils, kosher... It's a whole process, right? It's a whole process. All the pots and pans that they had to cook up food had non-kosher meat in it, so they couldn't cook up kosher food. Kosher meat, you can't eat meat raw. You've got to cook it. You've got to cook it with heat. If you're cooking with heat, then you need a kosher utensil, kosher pot, pan, oven, whatever, stone. So you cannot prepare kosher meat... On that day, on the day of Shavuot. So therefore, when they get, got back to their tents, they're like, "Wow, that was awesome! That <laughs> was like, it's really amazing." But we're hungry, and you can't eat meat because they couldn't have kosher meat that day. They couldn't slaughter it. They couldn't create a knife. They couldn't kosher vessels. And so they and the
2: and they could they,
0: exa- they could agree on exactly could agree on. So they went with the dairy route. Simpler. You milk your cow. You got, as long as it's from a kosher animal, you're a cow, your goat, whatever, you got your meat, you got your milk, you don't have to cook it, you don't have to heat it up, you don't have to do anything elaborate with it, you don't have to prepare a knife, you don't have to slaughter anything, you don't have to kill an animal, milk the animal, and it's fine. So therefore, since the first Shavuot in history uh, saw the Jewish people consuming dairy products, so we have a custom also to consume dairy products that create a dairy menu for the festival, for the holiday of Shavuos. That's the first reason that we have. Let's take a look at another reason, text 1b. Sharna, take it away.
1: It is customary in Shavuos to eat both milk and honey, which the Torah is like, as it is written in Psalms, song, song. honey and milk are under your tongue. One must also eat meat, for there is no joy without meat.
0: few things here, a few very important things here. Okay, first of all, the idea is... He gives a, a different reason why you, why you consume milk products, dairy products. He says that the, the verse in Song of Songs, 411, says, Honey and milk are under your tongue. Which is a reference to honey and milk are under your tongue. What does it mean under your tongue? That means you're always speaking words of Torah. That's the illusion, that's the meaning of it. Torah is referred to as honey and milk something that gives life, something that's sweet, etc. So it's sustenance, sweetness. So we have a custom, based on the verse, to eat, according to this reason, to, to consume, to eat honey and milk. But milk is our focus. He also adds, at the end, you also have to eat meat. This is going to become a critical idea. Why? For there's no joy without meat. That's what he says. Huh? Vegetarian. Not that happy. No, I'm just kidding. No, there is a concept of or of of meat bringing joy to a person. Now, I'll ask you an obvious question. What if somebody doesn't enjoy eating meat? So then it obviously doesn't bring them joy. So it wouldn't be fitting for the holiday spirit to consume something, or to have to consume something that brings one agony. So obviously if one feels strongly about not eating meat, if one's a vegetarian, right? And feels very strongly about not eating meat. So... Either you you find joy in meat, or you don't eat meat. Because it's not going to enhance the experience of the holiday. Does that make sense? It's not, let me put it this way. When it comes to a biblical mitzvah of you have to do this mitzvah, you are obligated to do this mitzvah. So then we say, you know what, your personal, you know, uh, your feelings are not, look, your feelings are your feelings, and you're going to make the choice that you make, but the Torah says you have to do it. When it comes to eating meat on Shabbos, or on a holiday, there's no mitzvah that says you have to eat meat. The mitzvah is you have to be happy. For a lot of people, the happiness, a good meal includes a steak, a brisket, a pulled beef, right? A, a meat course. So, for many people, and perhaps in Talmudic times, and 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 you know, maybe not so recently, or recent times, recent times, um, it was. Primarily, uh, meat that was reserved for special occasions. It wasn't something that was consumed every day. It was something that was consumed only on Shabbos and holidays. So, meat brought joy because you didn't see it often. So, it's like, wow, meat, it's a special day, it's a holiday, etc. If for somebody that doesn't enjoy meat, all right, you're off the hook. Now, those are two reasons. Again, so far, first reason is because the first Shrews in history, they couldn't eat meat because it wasn't kosher. They didn't have the means to produce kosher meat. The second reason is based on the verse, Honey and milk are under your tongue, which is a reference to Torah. I'm going to give you a third reason. Numerical gematria. Numerology. Jewish numerology. Every Hebrew letter, and I I just wasn't able to produce a handout, otherwise you would see it in front of you, the visual. Every Hebrew letter is associated with a number. Beginning from the letter Aleph, which is 1, Bet is 2, Gimel is 3, etc. So the word for milk in Hebrew is Chalav. Comprised of three letters Ches, Lamid, and Vet. Chalav. The numerical value of Chalav is, everybody know? Ches is eight, it's the eighth letter. Lamid is 30, and Bet is two. 40. 40. What's the significance of 40 vis a vis Torah? Forty years in the desert. Okay, but that was to get to the land of Israel. What's regarding the Sinai experience? There, 40 40 That's right. He was after the ten, after the Shavuos. He was up there another forty days and forty nights, receiving the rest of the communication of all the details of the laws. So forty is associated with the the, the transmission of Torah to the Jewish people. So there you go. The word chalav, which is dairy, milk, etc., is forty. Numerical, n- n- the numerology of chalav is forty. Forty is associated with Torah. On the holiday that we celebrate the Torah, we eat chalav, we eat dairy. Good. There were 40 generations, that's three, number four. There were 40 generations from Moses until Ravashi. Who was Ravashi? You may not know who Ravashi was. There were two redactors of the Talmud, Ravina and Ravashi. This is in the Talmudic era, which is probably the 2nd or 3rd third century, 3rd third and 4th century of the Common Era. No, 2nd or 3rd century of the Common Era. That's when the, the Talmud was put together and and formulated. The Talmud represents the culmination of although there is more discourse and and and, and discussion and, and and Torah knowledge that comes up and that's innovated after the Talmud. But the Talmud represents in a sense the closing, like the the, the culmination of not only the written Torah but the Oral Torah. The Talmud is like if you talk about the Oral Torah, talk about Torah Shabbat, where is it found? Talmud. The Talmud is a classic work. So from the times of Moses, from when the written Torah was transmitted to the Jewish people, till the times of Rav Rav Ashi, where the Talmud was completed, it's a span of 40 generations. Again, 40 associated with the transmission of both the written and oral law. 40 connected with challah of dairy. So on the anniversary of the of the Torah, we eat dairy food. That's the fourth reason. 40, no, not 40 years. No, it was one year. The flood took one year. There were 40 days and 40, I think there were 40 days and 40 nights of heavy rain. Was it 40? <laughs> yeah. Is it, it
2: 40?
0: 40 days. And so some people, I mean, you know what, I, I like it. I can, I, can, I can work with that. Okay, and also... Because the ark was okay, like the ark, the teva is teva. And also, uh, go there. for pregnancy, the gestation right. period
2: is 40 months. 40 days, di-
0: 40 weeks. Ah, huh? true. All true. So, in other words, to produce Torah, right, requires 40... Okay, i give you another reason. This is a great reason. When is Moshe's birthday? Moses. Adar. Seventh of Adar. Seven Adar. Adar seven. Parenthetically, that's why the holiday of Purim is in the month of Adar. Because when Haman was looking to find a month to destroy the Jewish people, he said, "Oh, when did Moses die? Oh, he died in Adar. That's a good. That's a good month to kill the Jews." Turns out, our sages say he didn't realize that it was also Moshe's birthday. <laughs> Whoops, blunder, right? It was also it was not only his yardside, but it was also his birthday. So it's the day that he has a mazel as well. It's a tzaddik had full, complete years, 120 complete years, to the perfection of a human being. Okay.
2: And, and after the human being is born, what does he drink?
0: We're going to get there in a second. Hold on, hold on. We're going to get there. But I, let's talk about. Yeah, 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 let's talk about. No, it's fine. Let's talk about Moses for a second. This, this is a very interesting idea. Moses was born. Okay, what's the story of Moses? He's born. What happens after his birth? Immediately after his birth? Huh? No. What happens? Immediately after birth? Yeah, there was light. Okay, good. There was light. He gets hidden. For how long? 40 days. No. That was a good call, though. Three months. He's hidden for three months. Why was he hidden for three months and only three months?
2: Because he wouldn't stop crying.
0: No. Huh? He was born three months early. He was born three months early. In other words, the Egyptians went around with their notepads, and they said, Oh, let's see who's pregnant amongst the Jews. Right? And they say, Okay, so when? Uh, when's your due date? They sent their doctors around. They did an old sonogram. Okay, so you're due. This is your due date. We'll be back then to take your... God forbid to take your child, and we know throw into the Nile River, and as was the decree of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Now, what happens is Moses' mother, whose name was Yocheved, she gives birth at the beginning of the seventh month. Seven, so a child is typically born in two months instead of weeks. After the, at the end of the nine months. Nine full months. He is born at the beginning of the seventh month, which means how many months early? Three. The whole seventh month he missed, eighth month and ninth month. So ninth month. So he was three months early. So he was born on the seventh of Adar. Three months later is what day? Shavuos. It's Shavuos. Shavuos is the sixth of Sivan. It's three months later. Turns out that when is he cast into the Nile River in a basket, mind you, with his sister watching, on what day? Shavuos, when does the daughter of Pharaoh go down to the Nile River, she's bathing, she notices the child, she stretches her hand and saves the child, when does that happen? Shavuos, when does she hear the child crying and attempt to feed the child? There was no formula then, so in order to feed the child that's crying, that's abandoned, right? So you have to have a wet nurse, somebody that's nursing the child. When did she attempt to feed Moshe using an Egyptian wet nurse? What day? Shavuos. When did Moses, Moshe, reject the Egyptian wet nurses, or say just because he wasn't able to, to consume something that wasn't from a, from a holy place? When did that happen? Shavuos. When did Miriam, who's watching the whole situation, uh, um, conveniently say, Hey, I know of a Jewish young lady, a, a Jewish mother who might be able to nurse this child, mentioning her own mother, Moshe's mother as well, Yocheved. When did that happen? Shavuos. When does Moshe, when is he in, does this just amazing story of divine providence happen that Moshe is now able to continue nursing from his mother, right? Milk from his mother happens on Shavuos. So to commemorate this, turn of events, right? So on Shavuos, we also eat dairy. Make sense? This is one reason it's given. What's
3: the first thing you said that happened with his The first thing born, it was He was hidden
0: for three months. The water's hot, in case anybody's waiting. So
2: he was a pretty religious kid, even with his...
0: Own yeah, kid. that's the point. A All person, a human, the human being that was going to communicate directly, as the Torah says, as Hashem says, face-to-face, peh, peh and peh, face-to-face, mouth-to-mouth. So, had to, you know, he had to have a very holy experience. So, that happened on Shavuos, and therefore we commemorate that with eating there on Shavuos. Now, I'll give you another reason. Another reason is that on Shavuos... In the temple, in the Holy Temple, in the of there were two breads. The Shea Lechem were brought. There was a sacrifice that involved two loaves of bread. So, how do we commemorate that? By eating two meals, dairy and meat, which require bread, to also commemorate the two loaves. Let me explain. On Shabbos, we also have two loaves of bread. But that's for a different reason. That's to commemorate the manna that fell in two portions on Friday, both for Friday and Shabbat, because we weren't supposed to collect on Shabbat. No work on Shabbat. So the double portion we commemorate with two loaves of challah. On Shavuot, we also have two loaves. Not because it's Shabbos. It's not Shabbos. But because, although there might be another... We also have... Forget two loaves. Let's try this again. On Shavuot, we have two meals, as we said, right? A dairy meal and a meat meal. Both meals, to be considered a meal, they have to have bread, which means that you actually have to wash twice for bread. So what happens? So either you eat your dairy meal here at Chabad in town. Everyone's invited, of course. So you could, you could finish davening here, you hear your Ten Commandments, grab some ice cream, wash for bread, eat bread and all the lasagnes and all the dairy stuff, and then go home, wait a little bit, wash again for bread, Say hamotzi again, and then with your, with your bread, you eat a, a meat meal. That's the way we do it. Turns out, we have two meals with bread. To commemorate, so why do we do it? Instead of having one meal with bread, to commemorate the the two loaves of bread that they brought on Shavuot. So now we don't have a temple. Instead of a temple, we have, instead of an altar, we have our table. So on our tables on Shavuot, we make a, we make a plan to have two meals with two breads, so that we also have two breads like they had in the temple. Can it make sense? Yeah? Does that mean that you have to have four loaves of bread? In the, um, no, the question is if I. Uh, yeah, it's. You have to
3: have two, have to ideally, have two
2: at
0: the Ideally. Ideally. Yeah. Now you can have three if you can, you can double dip, if it's par If the loaves are par then you can use. they cooked in a garlic. Unless it's not been used for 24 hours. Anyway, that's uh, good. I'll give you another, another reason. One of the of, one of the names of Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai has aliases. It's got its you know recording name, its street name, its tag name. It's got different. Mount Sinai has got different different names. So one of the names that Sinai is referred to in the Book of Psalms is Har um, Gavnunim. Gavnunim. I don't know what that means. Gavnunim. Uh, gvina means cheese. So. Vina, nim. So we say Mount Sinai is associated with cheese. Alright, it was the big cheese. So therefore we eat cheese, we dairy on Shavuos, which is the day that we got the Torah at Sinai Gevina also has is the the numerical value of the word gavina, which is cheese, is seventy. Seventy is associated with Torah because it says that Torah has seventy faces. There's Shivan Panama Torah, Torah has seventy, each each idea in Torah can have seventy interpretations. Okay. Let's, uh, these are, these are, I think we had nine reasons. Yeah? Seven. Seven? Good. Seven. All right. Seven. We were close. Two fell out somewhere. Anyway, here's the idea. The idea is, as I said before, that when you eat your meal on Shavuos, so the custom is to have a dairy meal, and then a meat meal. You're having two meals two meals with bread, two meals that you're washing, two meals that you're benching. You have to say the grace of meals after each meal independently because it's not one meal. You can't have one meal with meat and milk together, etc. Here's the question. We've had many reasons, either nine or seven, depending on the new math, the old math. Okay. So you have, you have various reasons why you eat dairy. But frankly, they all seem pretty flimsy. When I say flimsy, God forbid that I'm challenging these ideas that are stated by a the greatest sages of all time. Here's the point. Here's the point. It seems, perhaps a better word is incidental to the story of the giving of the Torah at Sinai. Because when the Torah was given, they weren't able to eat meat, so we also, we're also, we all, but we do eat meat. Because they ate dairy then, so we also make it a point to eat dairy. A commemoration? There's no deeper significance? The things that we do to commemorate a holiday are not just, you know, a fa- It's not just, we don't just eat matzah because they ate matzah when they got out of Egypt. We eat matzah because matzah is freedom. Matzah is no ego. Matzah is humble. There are deeper, significant. There's a deeper message here. There's got to be a deeper message to dairy, to meat, to to milk, to cheese, to all these things. There's got to be a deeper message than the numerical value of challah of of milk, is 40 and 40 days and 40 nights. Moses was on the mountain. There's got to be something more. There's got to be something more substantial. We
2: could eat uh, milk to elevate the cow and it doesn't work
0: Right, it's like you're you're being elevated whether you like it or not.
2: That'll that'll
0: elevate So it's like a it's like a holistic experience. First you first you get the milk and then you get the meat. You get you get the whole package. Elevate the whole you know. Elevate the whole the whole situation. I hear that, but what does that have to do with Shavuos the holiday? We got the Torah. Then it's all about we got to get something a little bit more a little bit more substantial.
2: You said the Torah is milk
0: and honey. Torah is likened to milk and honey, but that's a parable. It's like Torah is sweet. Torah is life giving, like milk and honey. So to to. It's like every time there's a symbolism. So you, the Torah says you're as numerous as the stars. So uh, so what we should do to commemorate that, where God says to Abraham, or what God says you're as num- you'll be numerous as the sand, as the grains of the sand. So we should have like a Jewish beach party and like you know just throw sand everywhere and say, look, we're as numerous as the sand. We're not actually, but you know there's enough. An- it's it's it and it's true that we're likened that Torah is likened to milk and honey, but we don't find that every time there's an analogy brought that we therefore have to consume or 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 throw a special uh uh party for that. so the question is, give me a more solid reason a more a deeper reason or it is for like the milk.
2: Like, uh, life like yeah. so then the sustenance of, of liquids would be you know a lighter more spiritual aspect, and then the meat would basically. That basically feeds, you know, muscle and all that. That would be you know, loving God with all your heart
0: and all your might as well. I hear that. No, I hear that. There's definitely symbolism. The question is, what if do Shavuos specifically? The Torah. The Torah, yeah, but Torah, is very general. Torah, everything's connected with Torah. The question is specifically what that day brought to the table. How is that connected with with dairy? The essence of the day. How is it connected with with having a dairy meal? They probably didn't have. So now.
3: it to do with connecting earth and heaven? Because finally there was a, you know, there was a decree that would be does
0: that have to do that? It definitely has to do with that. Although we're not going to emphasize the decree part of it, but the idea of bridging the two is going to be a prominent topic here. It's be a big focus. Let's, in order to get into this answer, what we're going to do is we're going to discuss the first menu in Torah. First time we find a menu in Torah is with Abraham. When, when does the Torah tell us his menu?
2: Huh?
0: When, he has when he has guests. And he's feeding the angels. Let's, let's read this. Um, Lala, you want to read text number two? Page
3: 123. Sure. Abraham lifted his eyes and saw, and behold, three men were standing beside him. And he saw, and he ran toward them from the entrance of the tent. And he prostrated himself to the ground. And he said, my lords if only i have found favor in your eyes please do not pass on from bedside your servant from beside your servant <laughs> please let a little water be taken and bathe your feet and recline under the tree and i will take a morsel of bread and sustain your hearts afterward you shall pass on because you've passed by
0: your servant. By the way, pass on is not the, uh, the way we talk about that. After you eat my food, forget about it. This is called the cardiac burger. I don't think so. You're not going to make it. No, no. He means afterwards you can continue on your journey. That's uh, guess. <laughs> right. We have a great track record. Maha! Evil laugh. Okay. Continue. They,
3: they
0: said, so shall you do as you have spoken. They basically said, no problem. Feed us. We're, we're ready to go.
3: Abram hastened, hastened to the tent to Sarah, and he said, Hasten, three seah of meal and fine flour, knead and make cakes. To the cattle did Abram run, and he took a calf, tender and good, and he gave it to the youth, and he hastened to prepare it. He took cream and milk and the calf that he had prepared, and he placed them before them, and he, and he was standing over them under the tree, and they ate.
0: So here we have, again, a good Jewish host who's actually standing over them as, they, as they're as they eating. He's like, you have enough, you have enough, It's like, oh, like hovering and everything. Helicopter uh, host. Good stuff. Alright, so this is the first menu the Torah tells us. And what is the menu consisting of? Right? So first of all, Avram, Abraham, promises them... A morsel of bread. I'll give you a little bit of bread. And what does he deliver? Water and bread, right? Take a little water, bathe your feet. Okay, that's for bathing. And I'll give you a little bit of bread. He under-promises and over-delivers, right? That's, that's a general trait. You know, don't go the other way. Say, yeah, I'll give it. And then, you know, uh, thrill your guests. But anyway, what does he bring them actually to eat? What's on the menu? Cream and milk and meat. And wait a second. Hold on. What's the obvious question? What's up with that? He's Avram is serving his guests, treif, non-kosher. Couldn't be. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't doesn't sound right. Uh, so the obvious answer is well, pff, he, he's not bound by the laws of the Torah. This is like way was like four hundred years before Torah was given. Not four hundred. years. Uh, a good three hundred years before Torah was given. He was bound by Torah law. Yes, yes, he was. Text three. Oh, all right. Judith, we're skipping you. We'll be back in a minute. Judy, take it away. Text three. God
1: Because Abraham to my voice, my
0: God is giving a reason why He is creating a covenant with Abraham, with Avram. He's saying. Him and I, we're, ba- we're, we're connected forever. His descendants will be forever connected in this covenant. I'll take care of them. They'll take care of me. Why? Because Avram listened to my voice. He guarded my prohibitions, my commandments, my decrees, and my teachings. What does that mean? He's kept the Torah, even before it was given. Now, you're going to ask the obvious question. How did he know Torah before it was given? Well, there was a transmission of what the divine will was, that was passed down from the times of Adam to the generation of Noah, to Noah's son, Shame and there was a fellow named Aver, his grandson, and They had a Yeshiva, and they taught people Torah and Abraham. There were, the Torah was being taught in a very, in, in a very uh, limited way, in a very, you know, discreet way, but Torah was being taught. Avram knew Torah, and the truth is, our sages say that even in Egypt there was a Yeshiva. Well, if it
2: was being taught when Abraham was born, then how could he be the first month?
0: He was the first one who taught monotheism. There were different people who walked with God.
2: He, didn't believe, he wasn't the first one that came up with it? Correct.
0: He, no, no, He One second. Two, there are two issues. Was he the first one that came up with it? No. It was people, people had that belief and people were, were teaching that belief. To, in, but in a very limited fashion. He himself came up with it in, in his own experience. He didn't grow up in a family. He wasn't sent to the yeshiva when he was a kid. He was sent to the auto factory. And he himself, for his own self, came to the realization that what he was taught was a big lie. And then he discovered the truth and he discovered others that were like-minded. And then he said, it's not enough that we're on the same page. I want to bring it to the world. And Hashem said, ah, you're taking it to the street. You're sharing the light with others. Now that's a Jewish idea. Not only to have light, but be a light unto the nations. Oh, now you're the first Jew. There were many people that, that had the light inside. But to share the light, to be excited about sharing it and and helping others see the light, that's a Jewish idea. Exactly. We're just so hungry. Oh, so they were ready to go. Like
3: just, you're so hungry,
0: eat. Just whatever. No, but again, there's two issues. There's two questions. Wow. So that's the thing. So uh, there's a few ideas here. Number one, number one, the guests weren't guests. They weren't Arabs or whatever nomads. They were angels for whatever it's worth. Number two, why is Avram, why is Abraham, serving milk and meat? So he's not eating it. Okay, but you can't have benefit. You can't, you can't derive pleasure from milk and meat. You can't make a business out of milk and meat. You can't make money off it. You can't own a McDonald's. Not three, the Torah says three times, don't mix milk and meat. Specifically, don't cook a kid and its mother's... Huh? You can't cook it. Three times, the Torah says, don't do this. The Talmud says, the Mishnah says, it's, it's, it's a tradition in the oral tradition. The three times are for number one, Isra Achila, you're not allowed to eat them together. Isra Bishel, the obvious one is not allowed to cook them together. That's what the Torah directly says. Number two, you can't eat them together even if they weren't cooked together. They were cooked separately. Stick them together and eat them. Also not okay. The third prohibition is Isra hana. You're not allowed to benefit from them. Even if you, you're not eating them, you didn't cook them together and you're not eating them together, you cannot Benefit from them being consumed together. So Isn't you.
3: say something about sorry, just, yeah. like no saying one? something three times and then it's sealed. Can you say it three times? There
0: is three yeah, times? there is the idea of three being a chazaka three being being a very strong statement of kind of absolute exactly we say it three times so there is an the idea of three is strength but but it's clearly defined in the oral tradition Talmud the Mishnah that the three. Uh, repetitions of this of this prohibition against meat and milk are teaching us again not to cook it together. Even if you don't eat it, you can't sell it, and you can't or derive any other benefit. You can't feed it to your animals, etc. You also cannot um, um, eat it together, obviously. So you can't feed it to your guests because that's something that you get pleasure from. If you enjoy hosting people, so you can't give it to you can't give it to your guests, even if they're not Jewish, even if they're not even if they don't care. You can't give it as, as a host. So how can Avram give it to his guests? How could the angels eat it? In fact, this becomes a black eye, so to speak, for the angels. This becomes a turning point in the story of Shavuos. When when God is preparing to give the Jews the Torah, our sages tell us, the story goes, the Midrash says, that the angels were protesting. The angels said, you're going to give your Torah, your wisdom, divine wisdom, the divine Well, what God wants God's knowledge as well. And you're going to give it to human beings of flesh and blood? Frail human beings that are probably going to look at it and say, eh, maybe not today. Or they'll look at it and say, I disagree. I think I have a better idea. You're going to give it to human beings? Flawed human beings of flesh and blood? Frail, mortal creatures? They said, let your glory remain in the heavens. Torah should remain in heaven, they said. Don't give Torah to human beings. Way too ugly down there. Keep Torah in a pure place. It's so pure. Keep it in a pure place. What happens? The story goes, Hashem, so Moshe Moshe comes up to heaven, right? Moshe comes up to get the Torah. The angels say, I don't think so. You're not getting anything. Not on our watch. Torah staying up here where it belongs in a spiritual place. Moshe turns to Hashem and he says, okay, what am I doing now? What's the script? And what does Hashem say to Moshe? What does he say? You answer them. Moshe says, I'm afraid to answer them. He says, hold on to my throne. The Kisei cover the throne of glory. And, obviously this is on a spiritual level. He says, and, and have the confidence and answer them. And so Moshe goes through a bunch of different arguments why the Torah should be given to the Jewish people. One answer that he gives is by pointing out the deficiency in their own argument. Moshe says to the, basically to something to the extent of you think the Torah should remain in heaven because you guys are so pure and holy. Wonderful. Remember last time you were here on earth? Remember what you ate? Touche. You guys violated Torah. And you want Torah because you're gonna keep it better than we will? You violated you, angels violated Torah. This is captured in text four A, Midrash, to Hillam. Judah, take it away. We skipped you, but we're back. Can't you almost got away.
3: When Moshe said You send to visit Abraham, did you did you not eat meat and milk together? As it is written, he took cream and milk and the calf that he had prepared, and he placed it before them, and they ate. However, when a Jewish child returns home from school and his mother offers him bread, meat, and milk to eat, he'll say to her, "Today, my teacher taught me that it says in the Torah not to eat meat
0: with milk. And she'll say, Yeah, just testing. Just seeing if my education dollars or my tuition is me. The angels
3: had no response, and at that moment, God told
0: That's it. God says, Moshe, yeah, they're speechless. Go ahead, you can write down the Torah. Text 4b. You know, continue with 4b as well because it's the same idea, just a different tradition. Um, slightly different. It seems like from that first one, the Midrash Tillam is talking about when when Moshe got the tablets, which is not initially when he got to, when he received the Torah. But anyway, text 4b. About.
2: Getting the blessing for.
0: Oh, getting the blessing. Why? Why, why? Because she
2: tricked uh...
0: Oh, she tricked him. Yeah, exactly. She's tricky moms. All right, text 4B, 125.
3: That them meat when God to give the Torah to the Jewish people, the angels tried to intervene, stating, Give your glory upon the heavens. God responded that in Torah, Do not cook a kid in milk, And you angels
0: so again, the argument is, the angels are like trying to act all holy and mighty. Oh, we're angels. We deserve the Torah. And the response is, you guys are so perfect. I don't yeah. think so. You guys ate meat and milk together. As it says in the Torah. Now. But, but Abraham, Abraham, served. He was a setup. It was a total setup. That was a testament. No, it was so that they would have this good argument later on. They'd be like, oh, try this menu, angels. <laughs> right? And then boom, they eat it. And then later on, Moshe could say, oh, but you ate it. And they're like, oh, Abraham. Right? I don't know if that's the way it is, but that's, we, can drama, we can dramatize it that way. I don't know if that's... But here's the deal. that
2: explains <laughs> McDonald's angelic order. That explains the arch, the, arch, the heavenly arches.
0: Okay. Now, now, now. Let's, uh, let's refocus here for a second because I have now a question. So, so far what we see is that Abram serves them, treif, non-kosher. They eat it, and they get busted later on when they try to blockade the Torah from being delivered to earth. They get the old uh, shazam. Okay, now. Now, let's ask a question that's going to turn the entire story on its head, because if you look at the way Torah describes the menu, it might not be such a problem that they what they ate. How does Torah describe the menu? Look back. What did Avram serve them? Milk and cream. No, but what are the words? Cream. He took. He took. And milk. No, no, no. Keep on going. He took. Let's read. What did he take? Wait, wait, wait. Again. He took, what did he take? Cream and milk and the calf. What's the order? Cream and milk first. Cream and milk first, and then calf. So wait a second. Suddenly, it's not so problematic. Why? Because first it says he gave them cream and the milk. Calf.
2: And to slaughter the calf, it's going to take half a day. In the meantime, they're drinking milk.
0: That's right. So it turns out they're consuming it. The order that Torah describes the milk and meat infraction, or the meat and milk menu, is actually first dairy, the cream and the milk, and the calf, and then the meat, which we know that from a halachic perspective is actually not problematic. Oh, so now we have issues. Because if we justify the angels' behavior... Again, wait, wait, before, before we get to the question. You understand what happened? Through a careful analysis of, of the order that the verse is in, we see that they actually consumed, or they were served, the dairy before the meat, which makes the entire exchange and menu 100% kosher. Probably kosher.
2: Huh?
0: Yeah, it be, well, it becomes it becomes uh, at least possible. Yeah, at least probably or possibly kosher. Why? Because you have, can you can have dairy. Fall, we're going to get into. I'm going we're going to have sources in a second that establish this according to Allah. But the idea is they had dairy first, then they had meat. That's okay. That's kosher. So it turns out that Abraham is justified. Who else is justified? The angels. If the angels are justified, then what's not justified?
2: These guys don't know. Huh? If they, don't know, they don't know that law.
0: Well, no, 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 because they no. it turns out they didn't do anything wrong. If they didn't do anything wrong, then what's the problem that we have? Yeah, we had to. Imagine said that the reason why they didn't blockade the Torah is because they violated something. Oh, really? What did they violate? They didn't violate anything. They ate milk and then meat. That's okay, that's 100% kosher. You can totally pull that off. In fact, when it comes to. When it comes to dairy and meat, the law is. Text 5. Let's read text 5. She's trying to take it away. If one first ate meat, he cannot subsequently eat cheese until he waits six hours. So that's what if you eat meat first. If you eat meat first, then you got to wait six hours. Continue. So look what it says in the Code of Jewish... That's straight up. Shulchanar, Code of Jewish law. Right there. Boom. Text 5. What happens if you eat cheese, if you eat dairy products, you can immediately eat meat as long as he checks to ensure that there's no cheese still stuck in his hands and he cleans and rinses his mouth. Rinse out your mouth. Grab grab a swig of wine or, or water. Right. Wipe your hands. And you can pop in some meat. You're kosher. So Avram serves them... Right? Chema, chalav, and the bucker, right? Chema the cream, chalav milk, and the calf. Totally kosher. If it's totally kosher, so everyone's off the hook. The problem is that all these sources say that the Torah was not kept in heaven because the angels violated something. How did they violate anything? It seems like they were in the clear. Again, if, the, if we justify them, then we don't justify us getting the Torah. That's a problem. You, Either we're right and they're wrong or they're right. And oh, we gotta send the Torah back. Gotta call the UPS guy. Now, now let's let's analyze this idea because according to to the basic law in Aruch in Code of Law, it says that you can eat dairy and immediately eat meat. Now, is anybody familiar with a different tradition? How long do we wait typically after usually like thirty minutes? Some wait thirty minutes, some wait an hour. Now, where does that come from? If the code of Jewish law says you can eat it immediately as long as you're rinsing your mouth, where does that come from? It comes from Kabbalah and other sources. Take a look at text 6a. Alright? Mushki, take it away. 6a. We find that one who
3: eats milk and meat together in one meal or within one hour will draw forces of impurity to the same.
0: Okay, so look, look what the Zohar says. Kabbalah says that if you eat it within one hour, it doesn't matter. Obviously, if you eat meat, you can't eat milk right after. But even if you ate milk first, if you're eating meat within the hour, immediately, whatever, rinsing your mouth away. So So it, it draws in forces of impurity. So it's not a halachic, it's not a legal issue, it's more of a spiritual issue. So it says, even after, so again, according to the basic law, you can eat dairy products and then meat products right afterwards, as long as it's not still in your mouth. However, according to Jewish mysticism and according to the spirit of Judaism, it says, not to fool around with that, you've got to wait an hour, wait at least an hour. Text 6b, CC, continue. Text 6b, 127.
1: It is a common practice on the holiday of Shavuot to eat dairy and afterwards eat meat in order to fulfill that which it states, be happy in your holiday. It also states, there is no joy without meat.
0: So you have two verses, and, and so you have to happy and you have to have joy. So And at the dairy we have, for, for the dairy reasons, but you also have to have joy. Be happy in your holiday, so you have to be happy. And Talmud says there's no joy with that. so you also have to have a meat meal. So again, what we said before, same idea: you have to have two meals. Continue.
1: Therefore, one must be careful to sanctify oneself, especially on such a holy day, the day the Torah was given. To wash and rinse the mouth after eating dairy, say the grace after meals, to divide into separate meals, wait an hour. And then to place a new
0: tablecloth for the meat meal. Right? Isn't that great? So you have to have two distinct meals. And he says, on the holy day, on this holiday, you have to be careful to sanctify yourself. Wait an hour. Even though you might, according to the basic level of Jewish law, you could eat it immediately. You can go from milk to meat immediately, pretty much. Wait an hour, especially on Shavuos. Continue.
1: The verse actually hints to this custom when it states, the beginning of the first fruit of your land must be brought to the house of God. You must not cook a young animal in the milk of its mother. One should be careful not to mix them. One who is extra careful shall be called holy.
0: So look what it says. It says in the verse, this is actually my Bar Mitzvah portion, Rachis bikure Admascha Tavi Beis Hashem of the beginning of the first fruit of your land. This is a mitzvah to bring the first fruits of your land to the temple, to offer it to the Kohen first fruits with the harvest when was that har- When was that? Or not the harvest the first fruits when is that brought that was brought into the holiday of Shavuot so it talks about Shavuot and then immediately it says don't cook a young animal a kid in the milk of its mother what's the connection between Shavuot and not cooking a young animal in the milk of its mother on Shavuot when you're having two meals both a meat and a, both a dairy and a meat meal don't mix the two that's what, he's, that's what the Shallah. that's what the, uh, the Shalah is from the book, called the, the Shallah says that what is the significance of the juxtaposition in the Torah between the mitzvah of, Bikurim, of the first fruits that are brought on Shavuot and the prohibition against mixing milk and meat on Shavuot. When you're having both meals, it's not a literal interpretation. It's a more of a uh, allegorical or, or a type of a hint in the Torah. It's on Shavuot. The festival that you bring the first fruits. When you have both meals, don't cook the kid in the the milk. In other words, separate the meals out. That's how he's interpreting it. The Torah is emphasizing, when you have both meals, make sure there's a separation. An hour, separate tablecloths, rinsing out your mouth, grace after meals, etc. Make them distinct. That's his idea. This is all with regards to consuming first dairy and then consuming meat. What happens the other way around? What happens when you consume meat and then dairy? So here we have much more restrictions. So I'll take it away. Text 6C. text six C. The tutor writes that after consuming meat,
3: one may not eat dairy for six hours, as meat leaves a fatty residue in the throat and a for an extended amount of time. According to this opinion did not swallow the meat himself but chewed it up to feed it to a child. He did not have
0: to wait because since he did not consume it, no residue will remain. So in other words, 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 if it's about the residue, the fact that you swallowed it, that you ate it, that you consumed it, so if you didn't eat it, if you just chewed it up in the in the front of your mouth, right? So then you should be in the clear. Continue though. Rambam says
3: that
0: Well, it's a thick piece of meat. What do you mean? You're a thick piece of meat. you got you got to chew it up for the kid. Anyway, here's the point. The point is, you have two reasons. The tour and rambam. So the tour says the problem is when you consume, when you eat it. The rambam says the problem is when you chew it. So is the problem in the front or the back of the mouth or the palate or the throat? The answer is... We're careful about both. So the point is, if you put meat into your mouth, no matter what happens to it afterwards, right? you put meat into your mouth, you got to wait six hours before dairy. But when it comes to dairy, you can eat dairy and then pretty much rinse out your mouth, wipe your hands, and then ideally wait an hour. But even if not, you're still it's still okay, from the basic level of the law, to consume meat. If you wash, only if you had bread. You don't have to always have bread when you, when you eat dairy. On Shavu, as he says, when you make it a meal, so distinguish between the two meals. If you wash for bread don 't go have your blintzes. wait in a schmooze for an hour, and then throw in the the pulled beef. don 't do that If you washed at the beginning of that dairy meal, end that meal and then start a new one. But in general, if you 're just throwing down a you know a little wedge of uh, baby gouda, perhaps then don 't don't then no, then you can pretty pretty soon after. Throw down a. Uh, a, flaming, throw, down, a, throw, down a throw down. Throw down a hot dog. <laughs> now, now, all of this is building this, the question that we asked before. All of this is building a simple question: If Jewish law says that you're allowed to eat first dairy and then meat, and that's okay, pretty much, right? Then what? What did the angels do wrong? That they were chastised when they tried to block the Torah from going down. He said, "Oh, angels, you are—you want the Torah? You guys violated. They didn't violate anything. They had dairy according to the order that in the Torah. They had dairy and then they had meat. So, what's the issue?" To understand all of this, we have to get into the deeper spiritual significance of why meat and milk is a problem in the first place. We have to understand why mystically, why kabbalistically, why on an energy level, is there a problem? Now, we know that the prohibition against meat and milk is a divine decree. And like every divine decree, we, we keep it, and we, the prohibition is there, whether we understand it or not, we get that. But there are also deeper symbolisms that we can, that we can define, that we can decipher, that we can decode within the prohibition, within every mitzvah, within this prohibition of meat and milk. Let's start developing the idea. Alright, Yaakov, you ready? Text 7a and 7b.
2: Milk is from the side of the chesed. Meat is from the verb. Accordingly, its color is red.
0: Okay. We have milk alluding to or stemming from, representing chesed. Chesed is loving kindness. Chesed is giving. Chesed is pure. It's, it's white. It's giving. It's free flowing. Right? Milk is free flowing. It's a liquid. It's about giving. Meat is tough. Meat is red. Meat is severe. Meat is... Gevura is withholding. It's not giving. It's not free-flowing. If you have directional arrows, Chesed is going out. Gevura is going in. It's being introverted. It's staying within oneself. It's not giving. It's withholding. It's creating boundaries, separation, distance, etc. It
2: stays in your stomach for a couple days. Huh? It stays in your stomach
0: for a couple of days. It takes longer. It's, it's a tougher element. It to Tough. t- it's a tougher. It's tougher. It's Gevura. Somebody says something har- Somebody says something easy to you, nice, you digest it easily. Somebody says something harsh, somebody says a gvura word to you, it'll sit with you, it'll eat you up for a few days. You yeah, you gotta digest it. It's very difficult to hear. Text, continue with 7c, please. Rikanti.
2: The Rikanti writes that the reasoning of the prohibition against mixing meat and milk is because it's similar to the mitzvah of the multifaceted prohibition of cross-breeding seeds, cross-breeding animals, and mixing wood and linen.
0: Wool, let's see, wool and linen. There's wool, a and yeah, linen. wool and linen.
2: Similarly, it is forbidden to mix meat and milk together because we cannot mix together spiritual powers. The meaning of the, his words are, are his meat is red representing sternness while well, milk signifies compassion.
0: And again, milk signifies compassion. It's free-flowing. It's, it's life-giving. Talk talking about a mother's milk, right? A mother, it's a life-giving sustenance and substance. That And also, there's also a very interesting thing when it comes to milk. The more milk is given, the more milk is produced. Right that's that's just the physiology of it. It's almost like the message the child is don't think that life is a zero sum game that if you give to someone you're going to be losing that. On the no, it doesn't work like that. On the contrary, the more you give, the more you get. The more love you give, the more love you have. The more compassion you give, the more compassion you have. The more knowledge you give, the more knowledge and wisdom you ha- you have. It's not a zero sum game. I give it I'm going to lose it. It's like fire, oh, the fire is gavura. Skip that analogy. It's like milk. Milk is giving. Giving is getting also, but it's giving. It's about the flow, the energy flowing, the free flowing, the liquid free flowing. It's about giving out. Uh, meat is red. It's stern. It's withholding. It's tough. It's about drawing within. And so here's a message. Here's the message. The message is that in life, and this is an idea that we talk about many, many times, but it's always good to, to, to refresh and it's always good to add a layer or two of depth and meaning and a new angle. We need... To exercise chesed, giving, in relationships, in our lives, for ourselves, for others. We gotta give, we gotta love, we gotta express, we, we gotta give. Together with that movement of chesed, that, that movement of emotion from inside out, there also, a healthy relationship also includes boundaries and borders. So I love my child, but I'll also have rules. I'm not gonna give my child everything child asks for a knife, the answer is going to be not until you're 18. There's going to be, right, there's going to be a restriction that's placed on the giving. It's not just going to be complete giving without any discernment, without any boundaries, without any borders. It's going to be a giving that has a definition. So it's chesed, giving kindness, love, that also has within a guru boundaries. Love in a relationship. This is I believe the first class we had was how to like the person you love. The first in the series few weeks ago. We spoke about the difference between love and like. Love and respect. Love and like. Love is love is about closeness. Like is about, in a sense, distance. You need both. But here's the trick. What's the key point? What, what is the key to a relationship? Which one? Chesed or Gvura? You need it, but what's the foundation of the relationship? Relationship means that there's a connection. The foundation of the connection is it's got to be the love. It's got to be the kindness. You have the borders to allow for a healthy closeness. Closeness without borders is consumption. So you need, right? It's, it's, I'm, we're so close, I actually swallows you. Alive. Domination. Whoops. Domination, right? You don't exist. I'm stalking you. I'm obsessed. Where are you now? Where are you now? Check in with me, etc. It's not healthy. So I need to create borders, healthy space. But what's the point of creating healthy space? Just to have space. So that you can have a healthy relationship, so that there's a healthy closeness. The objective is closeness. So in parenting, the objective is closeness. To have healthy closeness, I need to have boundaries. In a healthy marriage, there's, it's all about closeness. To have healthy closeness, I need healthy distance as well and healthy boundaries and borders. When it comes to education, the premise of an education system has to be about loving the child, loving the student, caring about the student. The rules that we have in place, there's rules of discipline, there are rules of, of when you show up and how you dress, and all of these rules about behavior and, and otherwise, all of the rules are, are meant in order to foster an environment of learning where we can teach, the objective is to educate the child, the closeness of education. To have the education in a healthy environment, there also has to be some rules that are set up. But the point is not the rules, the point is not to kick out kids that are not fitting into the system because they're not exactly fit The point is to create a system that works for the kids, because the objective is, we love the kids, we want to see the kids succeed. It's not about, oh, they didn't fit in, oh, they're out. If the, if the system is all gvura-based, it's all about the rules, so if you validate the rules, then you're out. But if the system is about the love, about keeping the other in mind, educating the child, um, ed- educating the student, loving the child, loving the spouse, then the rules are, are, are when we get angry, At somebody. Somebody did something that we don't like. We get angry. We spoke about anger last night. You get angry. The message is not anger in the sense of it's a front. It's not a real anger. It's a false anger or it's it's an apparent anger that I'm only using, that I'm only employing so that the other one recognizes that it's a serious issue. But it's a real anger. I really get upset. What that means is I've now allowed my rules or my definitions to get in the way of the closeness. Anyway, there's a lot to talk about this topic. The point is the foundation of a healthy relationship is love. That's why in the spheres, in the emotional energies, the first one is chesed. Then comes gvura. In, the sph- in the spheres chart, in the chart of the energies, the kabbalistic energies, ten energies, three intellectual, seven emotional. The first emotional character trait is chesed, love. Opposite that, to balance it is gvura. You need gvura to balance it, not because that's the ideal, but that's the balance. In life, you need balance. For example, you're holding a camera. You ever see those fancy camera weights? You know what I'm talking about? Steady cam thing. Mm-hmm. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You have a camera, your hand's going to shake. Try See? Oh, well, yeah. No, 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 no. Tripod's not going to work. The, uh, it's a thing, a balance that you put on the camera so when you move your hand, you get a steady and, and, and smooth pan. Wires, yeah. No, not even wires. It's not a handheld thing. It's created with weights and balance. You put it on your. You, it's hanging from the it, It's far. Like It's a bar, exactly. It's a bar that's attached. You're holding it. It's like there's a there's a the camera's here. There's a grip here, and then there's a counterbalance, a weight here, so when you move your hand, it actually stays steady instead of your hand shaking like that. What's the point though? Is it the balance or is it the camera? Why you? What are you holding? Oh, look at me! I'm holding a balance. I'm holding weights. You're not holding weights. You're holding a camera. You have you have to balance love with a little bit of rules, with some rules, or maybe a lot of rules. But that's the balance. That's not the objective. That's the weight that you're balancing it to have a healthy experience of love. But the ideal is to have love, to have a relationship, to have a closeness. So here's the point. When you're dealing with a mixture of milk and meat, you have to remember what the point is. The point is the milk, not the meat. The milk, which is the dairy, which is the love, which is the kindness, which is the relationship, the closeness, has to be the dominant force, not the, not the, not the meat, which is the discipline, which is the gvura. That's the balance. That's not the, that's not the main point. When it comes to eating, the law says we don't really have time to get into the details. Uh, I mean, I have time, but I don't know if you guys have time. The laws of kosher, the law, yeah, the laws, halacha says an interesting idea called tata gavra, which means that the bottom, when you have a mixture of top and bottom, the bottom, it dominates the top. What that means is like this. We're going to get into this a little bit. Let, 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 let's go through. Is this okay that we're going to go for a few minutes into this? Yes? Yeah. Maybe, Okay. Kind of putting everyone on the spot. You have a cold piece of cheese and a cold burger. Again, a cold piece of meat and a cold piece of cheese in the refrigerator. Different shelves. Is it kosher? It's kosher meat and kosher milk. It's in the same fridge on different shelves. Is it kosher? Yes. yes. Can you eat both? Not together. Can you eat each one? Yes. 100%. You move it now onto the same shelf. Still kosher? Same shelf. It's kosher, 100% kosher. You move it now. They're now they're not just on the shelf. Now they're fraternizing with each other. Now they're actually touching each other. They're touching each other in the fridge. That's
2: But
0: they're cold. They're cold in the fridge. The fridge is cold. They're touching each other. What's the deal?
2: How can they be if
0: they're touching each other? Nana. So what's the deal? What's the deal with this now? What's the deal? You're just saying. Yeah.
2: I don't
0: know anything about these. They're still kosher. They're still kosher. Why? Because no no transfer happened. Halakha says it deals with science also that it all heat Transfers flavor from one thing from from one substance to the other, you take a cold piece of, of, of cheese and a cold piece of meat you put it on top of the other you pull it off nothing transferred maybe a little bit you have to like just like kind of scrape off the top of, of both substances, but otherwise it didn't penetrate it's not like the milk went all the way into the meat it didn't it was cold nothing happened it was just on the layer the surface layer. you just kind of brush it off when you introduce heat into the equation now you got a problem now now all bets are off, and now. Forget vapors. You have heat, now it's done. The whole thing is just trafe. The whole thing is not kosher. Milk and meat, you're done. Party's over. Now, wait a second. What if one of them is hot and one of them is cold? You see, we we, we cover every angle. Both are cold, no problem. Both are hot, massive problem. What if one's hot and one's cold? You know what the answer is? Depends which one's hot. Not milk or meat, top or bottom. Here's the example. You have a pot of something like that. You have a pot, forget a pot. You have a hot piece of meat. And a cold piece of cheese falls on top. What happens? It's going to melt. Let's say you pull it off fairly quickly. What happens? I know. Don't tell me that. I know it's going to melt the cheese. What we have here—forget. Let's say it doesn't melt. It doesn't like shh, sleeping like that. You could still pull it off. What happens is halacha says since the bottom was hot, the whole mixture now is considered. It's in the same pot. It can't be. On a pot. It has to be like in a contained environment. The, since the bottom is hot, the heat rises or whatever. And now the whole mixture becomes hot. Is considered to be hot. Hot, m- hot meat and hot cheese, the whole thing is not kosher. If your hot substance was on top, so you had a cold piece of meat and a hot piece of cheese fell on top, so then, if, again, if it's possible to separate the two, we say that the cold on the bottom overwhelmed the top, and created a cold mixture, even though the hot thing fell on top of it, but the, you go by, the bottom defines the temperature. If the bottom one was cold, so the bottom one now defines the temperature of this mixture. It's a cold mixture. As long as you can take it, take off the top, all you have to do is cut off the top, the layer on each of them, and you'll find your kosher. This is called Tatal gaver. Now there's a dispute in the Talmud. Rav and Shmuel. You have it here. I'm, we're not going to read all the texts, so because it's just going to take too long. Rav and Shmuel, you have here text 10a. You know what? Let's, let's, I'll, Let's retext the 10A quickly. Jonathan, retext 10A.
3: If something hot falls into something cold, or vice versa, that the cold item falls into the hot one. Rob says that the upper one always overpowers. And Shmuel
1: says... That the lower one always
0: overpowers. It doesn't matter whether which one is milk and milk, which is meat. That's irre- irrelevant. What matters is which one is hot and which one is cold. The top or the bottom. And Rav and Shmuel they have a disagreement. The halacha log goes with Shmuel that the lower one tata govar. The lower one always overpowers the upper. If the bottom one, if the lower one is hot, then the whole thing is hot and it's not kosher. If the bottom one's cold, then it's all cold and it's kosher. All you have to do is, uh, is, is peel it off. That's found in text 10b. That law is there. You can read it on your own. We're not going to read it inside. Now here's the point. You ready for this? According to this law of Tathagavar, that's why you can eat dairy first and then eat meat. Why? Because in your stomach, think about it. Think about this. Right, you ate, we said before that if you eat a dairy meal, you can eat meat right after. Because what's in your stomach first? Acid. After the acid. What's what the first thing you're eating? What's in your stomach first? The dairy. Then you put the meat in on top of it. So it turns out, what's your dominant energy here? Chesed or The dominant is the bottom. So you first ate, oh, yummy, cheese, baby good as before. right? You ate the cheese. So what's the, what's the dominant energy in your stomach right now? chesed, love. And then you throw in a little discipline on top. That's a kosher mixture. That's kosher. You do the other way. You start with kvur, You start with the meat. And then you say, I'm going to take love and distort love to fit my discipline. That's a distortion of major proportion. And Torah says, that's not allowed. You've got to wait till all that discipline is gone, is digested six hours. Make sure that's gone. And then you can bring in the love that you need in the relationship. Don't make, don't don't predicate your relationship because you want to. You want to. You want to uh, create a rule. I want to create a rule. How am I going to create a rule? I want somebody to. So I'm going to have a relationship in order to create a rule, and therefore I keep somebody by my rules. That's distorted. That's unhealthy. Relationship. The, the premise of relationship is love. You got to start with love, not with discipline. And therefore, if you start with love, if we start with milk, it's kosher. You start with meat. Now you got to wait. You got to wait a while. You got to get rid of that, and then you can introduce the milk. Now we understand why the angels messed up, even though they ate milk first. Because this whole law of that the bottom one, it overpowers the top. Why? We said heat rises. On a deeper, on a spiritual level, it's because in the grand scheme of things, in the battle between heaven and earth, who prevailed? For Torah. There was a struggle between heaven and earth. Who prevailed? Where was Torah given? On earth. Which means Tatagavah. The bottom, the lower, we prevailed over the top, over the angels. So it's because Torah was given to the earth. Torah was given to us human beings. It's because of that, that the law therefore says that the bottom one is the overwhelming energy in the relationship between top and bottom. And therefore, the dairy first is kosher. Says Moses to the angels, you ready? Says Moses to the angels, your argument is... You want the Torah to stay in heaven, which means that you wish to say that the top dominates the bottom, right? You wish to say that the top is more important than the bottom. If so, then you violated Torah. Because what did you eat first? Milk and then meat. What's your dominant energy? Meat. Touche. You got that? Do it again. Do it again. Right? The angels, listen to this, the angels come along and they say, keep the keep Torah in heaven. Don't give it to earth. And which is better, heaven or earth? Heaven. Which is better, upper, up or down, top or bottom? Top is better. Moshe says, really? Top is better. When you ate by Avram, which one did you eat second? You ate milk first and then meat. Which was your top? Meat. Gvura. That violates. If the fact that you ate milk first, listen to the twist, listen to the twist. The fact that you ate milk first, and you thought that it was kosher, means that subconsciously, or Freudianly, you acknowledge then in that moment, that the primary, the primary ingredient, the primary is the bottom. Because you ate milk first. Again, you have to have, the foundation has to be chesed, has to be love, has to be the milk. The question is, what's the foundation? Is the foundation down? As we say, as Moses says, or the foundation up in heaven, as the angels said. So Moses says like this, when you came down here, which, which one did you have first? Well, Where was your milk put? First, you first had milk. That means that you acknowledged that, that the bottom one is the over. Because if not, if the top is the dominant energy, then you violated Torah. Torah. You violated the energies. You had first milk and then meat. Meat was your dominant energy because it's on top. And now you violated your... According to your own logic, your own actions demonstrated that you believe that Torah should be given on earth. And so the angel said, you're right. You got us. They said, all right, take the Torah. What's the message? What's, what's the bottom line out of all this? First of all, this is why, the deepest, perhaps, a very deep reason why we eat two meals on Shavuos. Because we actually replicate the meal of the angels. Think about it. We have first our chema and chalav. We have our butter and our milk. Right? We have our dairy. We have the blintzes. We have the pizza turnovers. We have the ice cream party. We have that entire meal of dairy, just like the angels did. And then we follow it with the lamb and the whatever, the, the buck or the, the calf. We follow it with the meat. Second meal. Two meals. Just like the angels. And you know what the message is? The message is, this is exactly what we're doing. We're having the milk first and then the meat. Why And why is that kosher? We don't have to wait six hours. Why is that kosher? Because tata govern. Because the bottom is stronger than the top. In other words, because Torah belongs here on earth. A fitting day to remember this concept on the day of Shavuos when the Torah is given. There's the message of Shavuos is that God gave us the Torah to make this world down here, not heaven, to make this world a better place. That's what Torah is about. To transform this lowly world, this Tata, this below, this tachtonim, this this underworld, so to speak, into a holy place that's, our, that's what Torah is all about how do we remember that how do we mark that how do we celebrate that by eating first a dairy meal and then a meat meal because the message is why is that kosher because first we started with dairy then we started with meat and the bottom overwhelms the top that's what Torah is given down here and that's what the purpose is the final text which we, can, uh, which we can read you know what let's read quickly text 13 running you want to read quickly here take this take, you got it The final text. This will uh, kind of crystallize the idea here.
2: For thousands of years, souls wait up to heaven long long for their moment upon the earth to do another soul a favor. Angels burn with jealousy each time a human being turns himself around and creates beauty in this world. Heaven is nice, but on the best things... Earth has exclusive rights. Isn't that great? Angels wouldn't
0: burn with jealousy. They do have human emotion. Huh? No. I mean, literally, they burn a straw They literally burn up.
2: They burn. Yeah. <coughs> but they're not. Jealous.
0: No, no. This is this is from Steve Freeman. This is a modern writer. This is a poetic uh, license involved here. This is not a uh, an original, you know, Talmudic or Kabbalistic source. No, of course not. The point, though, is that angels. It does say in the sources that angels do have. Angels would love to be able to do a mitzvah on this world, on this earth. Because the bottom line is, this is where all the magic happens. So the message is, we don't need to go up to heaven, we don't need to be an angel, we need to be a human being, we need to be a man on this world, and do the right thing, make this world a better place. With Torah that was given, specifically for this reason, Torah was given down here, so we make this world, this tata, this... This world, govern, to make it a beautiful place, a place of strength, a place of decency, a place of uh, godliness, and indeed a, uh, the garden that God er, um, originally had in mind when He first created this world, we have the ability to bring that about. It's only done through Torah. And that's the significance of, of Shavuos. We got the Torah then, we got our ability, our marching orders and the tools with which to transform this lower world into a, into a, into a, a home for God. And that's why, we, again, that's again why we have the two meals. The message is... First the milk and then the meat. Why is that kosher? Because Because the, the main, the main arena for achievement is right here. So we should appreciate every day that we have and appreciate the Torah that we have to make every day meaningful. Makes sense. We just say
3: that.